Thank you for singing with us this morning. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you, your faces, and those of you that I can't see, whether you're in the room or you're joining us online via audio or video, no matter how you are here, we're just glad you are here. This is a big deal. To worship God together in presence, we can do this on our own throughout the week, but it is special when we come together to do it corporately as the body of Christ. And so this is a good, awesome day to do that. Um, so I do want to let you know, right out of the gate, uh, Laura kind of mentioned, like she was singing by herself, uh, just, just pray for uh, some people in our church. I'm not going to name them specifically, but we had a rough week as a church. There were some people, there's one that specifically almost left this earth because of an accident that he had. He is here, praise God. Uh, but pray for them. Uh, we had a whole other half of our band that was in the emergency room last night that would have been up here, but they can't. So I'm just telling you, that God is working, but it has been a struggle for some people in our church this week. So what I, I think I need is to pause. I don't think we do it enough in our culture. And so I need a pause. And the way I want to do that is I just want to pray for a minute. Because I think I need it. I think others in our church need it. And whatever God wants to do with the message today, I think we need to be ready for that. So would you join me? Just let's pause for a moment and listen for God's voice. Lord, sometimes we're scared of silence because we're worried about what we will hear. Help us to be a people who are willing to pause and stop and slow down because I think it's very difficult, I know for me, to hear your voice in the midst of everyday hurried life. So I pray for those in our church specifically who have gone through some pretty tough stuff this week be with them, give them strength, healing, and peace, we ask in your name. And now as we listen to your word, the message you have for us, it might be completely different than the one I think that you downloaded to me this week, but God, whatever that message is, may it be real and clear and known because if it's from you, it might be hard, it might be difficult, but it will be good. So we are here ready for you. We pray this and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So I don't know about you, but uh, I enjoy uh, just times where I can kind of grab the couch, hit a recliner, and uh, turn on the TV. Now, I try not to do it very often, but I enjoy those moments where I can, let's be honest, when the TV comes on, the brain goes off, 
right? And so one, these are some shows. I'm wondering, I'm just kind of curious. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have seen the show Storage Wars? All right, Any, anybody in here have seen Storage Wars? Okay, so Storage Wars is all about this show where people bid after storage units that have been abandoned, right? And they, and they have a whole group of people and they're bidding on what they want to pay for this storage unit because it's been abandoned. And it's just interesting because then they open it up and it could be worth thousands and thousands of dollars or it could be worth almost nothing. And that's kind of the fun of the show. Uh, there's another show called Hoarders. Anybody in here watched Hoarders? Oh, man. This is just kind of like when they, they highlight people that have this unhealthy kind of attachment to stuff, right? And they pile it and they crowd it in. Some of you know people in your life, in your family, who are hoarders. People don't talk about them often, but they're out there, right? And they kind of have this. And then how many of you, probably the most popular of the three, how many of you have heard of Pawn Stars, right? All about people trying to get as much money as they can for their old antique stuff, right? They're hawking at this pawn shop, and there's a whole show about it. Very, very interesting. Now, the question I have for you is this. Why do we like shows like that? Those shows have been going for years, and we still watch them. Right? Usually just when I have nothing, literally nothing else better to do. But we watch them. Why? Because we're fascinated with stuff. Aren't we? I am too. I'm fascinated by technology. I'm fascinated by the next greatest thing. I'm fascinated by how good my phone can be. And we are fascinated by stuff. Well, today we're going to continue the series that we've been in, Different for a Change, where we're talking about 12 things, 12 phrases that we can jump into, that we can lean into, that will change our life, that will help us to be better followers of Jesus. And so today is no different. We're actually kind of in this little mini-series within this series. Last week, we talked about our priority of time. Today, we're going to talk about priority of stuff. Yay. Next week, we're going to talk about priority of focus. I won't quite give all of that away, although if you have the list, you already know where we're going. But we're talking about priorities, and today's phrase is this, one of the most powerful phrases you will ever hear, one of the most important things we need to just let sink in and live by and do and be. It's a both be and do phrase someone we are and something we need to do. Hold things less. Cherish people more. Hold things less. Cherish people more. Items, possessions need to diminish. People need to elevate. So let me set up the context for the scripture that we're going to be in. Uh, so in the, the story that we're going to jump into, Moses, there's this guy named Moses. Think, you know, Charlton Heston, Harry Chest, standing in parting waters, right? You know, Moses, that's what we think of. But this is a little bit different part of that. This is after the Red Sea, where we're going to pick up the story. Moses has just become the leader of the Israelite nation, probably about a million people or so. We don't know exactly, but about a million people. It's a lot of people. 
Moses has just become the leader and he has just led them out of slavery. They've been slaves. All million people have been slaves in Egypt for a very long time. And Moses is leading them out of Egypt. They just crossed the Red Sea, the parting of the water, that whole miraculous thing. Woohoo! That was awesome. And now they're into the part that's not as awesome. It's the journey from Egypt to what God calls the promised land. And so Moses is leading them through the wilderness, through the desert. It's hot. It's dry. There's very little water. There's hardly any food for a million people. And so, I don't know about you, but just imagine your family. You're excited. We're going somewhere that God has promised to us. And you get in the minivan, and you start driving. And after two hours, it's like, okay, we're still driving. And after six hours, it's like, okay, we're still driving. What happens in your van with your children and yourself after you've been driving for hours and hours and hours. Do you know what happens? I'm sure you do. I know what happens. It's called complaining, whining. Dad, are we there yet? Mom, can we have a snack? Dad, can we just pull over for a little bit? Ooh, can we make the stop right there? Oh, there's this thing. Oh, Dad, he touched me. He punched me. He took the thing. Hey, but he's had it for half an hour. I only got it for 27 minutes. Oh. And you know what that does when the complaining happens from behind us? It helps Laura and I's mental state so much. Because we are loving life already. We're loving driving for hours, and that just helps bring us back up. No, it's awful. That's exactly where the Israelites were at. They've been wandering in the desert, in the wilderness for a while, and they're getting tired. They're hungry. They're hot. They're upset. They're fed up with this, and it gets so bad, they start complaining so bad, they actually tell Moses this. I'm not going to read this, but it's in Scripture. You can go back and see this in Exodus, the book of Exodus. And we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16, by the way. If you'd like to follow along, go ahead and get there. But in the book of Exodus, it tells us that the people started complaining, and they got so bad, they said, Moses, it was better when we were slaves in Egypt because at least we had food. That's some pretty bad complaining. To give up your freedom to go back to become a slave again, that's some pretty rough whining. So where we're going to pick up the story is at the moment where the people have complained and complained and whined to Moses, and Moses is like, ah! And so he goes to God, he's like, God, do you hear this? These are the people that you gave to me. Thank you. And we're going to pick up the story right at the moment where God speaks directly to Moses and says, Moses, here's the plan. Okay. So Exodus chapter 16, starting with verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. That's not something you hear every day. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Take note of that. I will test them in this. On the sixth day, they will gather food 
And when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. Strange plan, right? So there's this complaining Moses there in the wilderness, and God says, so here's the plan. I'm just going to kind of summarize the plan because it's very interesting, very simple, but very strange. So God says, we're in the wilderness, we're in the desert, there's really no food here. And so what I'm going to do is, you know how the dew, just think about the dew in the morning, like this morning when you got up, it was kind of wet, wasn't it? So what God did is he creates the, this reality where the dew becomes this flaky bread type stuff. The Israelites don't know what to call it, so they call it manna, which literally translates to, what is it? They called it, what is it? I'm eating more, what is it? Mm, what is it? So good, what is it? I, I like the, uh, what is it, with some desert water. Thank you. Right? What is it? That's what it is. It's like this flaky bread stuff that God is going to miraculously create out of the morning dew every morning. That's pretty awesome. And then I didn't read this part, but he also says, at night, in the evening, I'm going to give you meat. I'm going to bring quail in. You're going to be able to eat quail for your dinner. Woo! Bread in the morning, meat at night. This is awesome. All miraculous. And then God says, but there's a couple of specific rules I need you to understand and follow. Very important. Number one, do not pick more food than you need for that day. Do not pick more food than you need for that day. Don't save some. There's no to-go bags. There's no to-go cups in this plan. Right? If you don't, don't grab more than you need or your family needs. Eat only what you need for that day. Same with the meat. And then he mentions the second rule is on the sixth day, though, things are going to change a little bit. You need to adjust your thinking a little bit. On the sixth day, what I want you to do is I'm going to bring twice the amount of food, and you're going to work twice the amount, and you're going to gather twice as much food, because the next day, guess what? There's going to be no food. It's going to be a day of rest, the Sabbath. And so make sure on the sixth day that you grab twice the amount of food so it will last for you and your family for two days. Very interesting plan, isn't it? And the question I have for you is this. What in the world is God doing? Do you ever wonder that? I do. Fairly often. I'm like, God, what are, you do what are we doing here? Like, what, what, are, what is this? And the Israelites are wondering, what is God doing? So what is God doing with this plan? Well, very simply, let me tell you what God is doing. God is providing, but in the midst of his provision, he's giving them a healthy balance and boundaries around food, possessions, and work. He's forcing them into a healthy boundaries around food and possessions and work. That's what he's doing. Now, let me ask you this. How do you think it went? God was kind of messing with the Israelites a little bit here, right? He's like, okay, you're in the wilderness. Here's the bread, the meat at night. Don't grab more than you need for that day. But then on the sixth day, you grab twice as much because the next day, the food's not going to be there. Like, they're probably going, what are we doing? This, is, this God is crazy. I'm sure they had those conversations. So how do you think it went? Well, depends on the person you talk to. 
Let me read what happens. Let's skip down a few verses. And so now we're at the morning where this is first going to happen. And so Moses reminds the people what God said. I want to pick it up there. Verse 19. Then Moses told them, he's reminding the people what God said. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning. In other words, just grab what you need for today. But some of them, I'm sure you guys have never had this in your household. Some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. They took a to-go bag. They got a to-go cup. No, you're not supposed to. But by then, it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them, with the people. Anybody get angry when people don't listen? Moses was angry. He's like, I am trying to lead a million people here in the desert. God miraculously provides. There's like these two rules, and you can't follow either one of them. Come on. So my question again is, what is God doing? Why did he make this rule? And now when they don't follow it, what, what's going on here? Why is God establishing it this way? One very simple, very powerful, very absolutely critical word to everything in our life, and it's called Trust. Trust. God was teaching them how to trust. That's what he was doing. He's saying, I know you want to grab more. I know the Benjamin tribe over there, they tend to be a little greedy and they might grab too many manna, what is it? and then you might not have enough for your family. I get that you're scared. See, understand that there were some Israelites that they had a trust problem. Didn't they? they, they maybe they didn't trust that God was going to bring the food the next day. They're like, wow, this day worked out pretty well, but I can't promise. I don't know if I can trust that it's going to happen again. Maybe it was a trust in God problem. Maybe it was a trusting your neighbor problem. Anybody have a hard time trusting those around you? Maybe this is a trusting issue with the other Israelites that are in their vicinity. They're like, I saw how much manna they grabbed yesterday. We need to grab our own and faster. So kids, this is what we're going to do. You're going to go left. We're going to go right. You're going to scoop up as much manna as you can because that, that other tribe over there, they're greedy. It was a trust issue. They wanted to take matters into their own hands. And I wonder for a minute... If our lack of boundaries in our culture today is not just a routine behavior problem, it's actually a trust problem. When Chick-fil-A goes into the mall, I heard this story just this week at the conference, and the mall says, you guys can't come into the mall because we're all open seven days a week, but you're closed on Sunday. That's not going to work. You're not going to make it. And then Chick-fil-A says, watch us. And they move in, and they make more money than anybody else in the mall by working only six days, not seven. Because God says, watch what I can do when you live within healthy Now, how do you think the whole sixth day thing worked right out of the gate, right? Some of the, some of the people, they couldn't handle like, you know, oh, oh, hey, let's grab a little extra manna so I can have a little snack later on or first thing in the morning before we have to go out and get more manna. Like, that didn't work out so well, right? God made it spoil. 
So how did the six-day thing work? Let's jump down to verse 27 and see how that worked, right? Let's see what happened. Did anybody go out on the seventh day? What do you think? Verse 27, some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day. God said, there's not going to be any food. They went out anyway. Like, I don't think God's right. <laughs> God's silly. It's been happening all the other days. I'm sure it'll happen today. God said, no, it's not. They went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. Shocking. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. Did you catch that? The Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. It's a gift. You know what we typically think about the Sabbath? We think church gets in the way sometimes. We think we've got to work, but, I, but, I, but, I, but I, I need to hustle. I need to do better than my coworkers, otherwise they get the bonus I don't. I've, you don't understand. I have to work all seven days. I have to work in the evenings. I've got to get stuff done. And God says, no, actually you don't. Because what you're doing is you're frenzying yourself. You're stressing yourself out. You're sacrificing your family. You're sacrificing time that could be spent elsewhere to do these other things. Now, I'm not saying God says, you should slack off and be lazy and uh, say, forget you, boss. My pastor said, I don't have to work hard. That's not what God's saying. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, work your tail off. Just don't get yourself out of balance and have it take over your life. And that's what God is saying. And so the six-day Sabbath, God says the Sabbath is a gift. Now, understand something. Where did the Israelites just come from? Just think about it. Where did they just come from? In this story that we're reading, think about the context. What have the Israelites been living in? What was their reality before this story? They were slaves, weren't they? They were in bondage. Forced to work, literally, if you think about some of the stuff that the Egyptians built, you know who built that? Slave labor. The Israelites were slaves. They helped build those things. Think about that. Okay? We go and we tourist and we celebrate and all this stuff. Slaves built almost all of those things. They were slaves. And so what happened is God has just saved them physically from slavery, but the Israelites are still acting like slaves in their minds, in their routines, and in their behavior, and in their view of life. They still think that they have to hustle every single day, sun up to sundown. You know what they had to do as slaves? They were forced to work sun up to sundown seven days a week. And God said, there's a much better way of life. And it looks like this. You don't have to work sun up to sundown. And I'm going to give you a gift. It's called the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. It's for a time for you to rest and to worship God, not alone, but together with your family. It's a gift. And yet the Israelites had a hard time changing their routine, didn't they? Anybody else in here have a hard time changing your routines? Oh man, I do. I, I am good with a routine, and when I'm broken on my routine, I am broken. Like, it is just bad. Laura knows this because she changes stuff in our house 
fairly consistently, including furniture. Like I'll walk in and I'll be like, oh man, I don't even know. I'd, I'd, what happened in here? Oh, I just felt like I needed a change and I'm going, oh no. I'm, I'm glad I can see well because like I would be, I'd be gone <laughs> by tripping over furniture at this point. And, and I have a hard time, like, she changes the, uh, the kitchen around, right, and reorganizes me. It's very efficient. But the problem is, I have a hard time. I, I kid you not, there are still things. She changed around, I don't know, several months ago. I'm still looking for stuff at times. She knows exactly where it is. I'm still, I'm like, where is that now? I don't know. That was like at Christmas that she changed everything. I have a hard time changing sometimes. The Israelites were free from slavery, but they were still slaves to the possessions, to the schedule, to the work. God wanted to free them from materialism, but they couldn't free themselves. So, maybe you're saying, okay, is this true? Are we truly slaves to our possessions? Well, let me, let me give you a couple of examples. So, UCLA did a study of a group of people, a bunch of families uh, in their area, and the whole goal of the study was to decide and try to figure out, is there a link between the amount of possessions a person has and happiness? One way or the other, no matter, like, not, you know, whatever the link was, if there was a link, what is the link there between possessions, the amount of possessions, and happiness? They did the study. And so what they discovered is, this was very interesting, they studied, and this was not an absolute, like, every single family, but generally speaking, the vast majority, what they found was, the more stuff, the more possessions a family had, the more depressed they were. Seriously, this is not like making this stuff up. This is what they found. The more stuff a family had, the less happiness in the marriage existed. They asked very specific, very personal questions. In fact, the more stuff, what they found is at night, like in the evenings, the more fatigue the people felt in the evenings based on the more stuff that they had. Anybody tired at night? like exhausted, it might have something to do with our stuff. And this last one is very interesting. They actually measured different chemicals, natural chemicals that are produced in the body. And what they found was very interesting. Again, not in absolute, but largely, overall, the families that had the higher amount of stuff, of possessions, they found higher levels, in fact, unhealthy levels of the chemical cortisol in their body. Now, here's what's interesting. You know what cortisol is produced by? It's produced by stress. Stress produces cortisol in our body. Now, catch this. This is very interesting. Take it one step further. Do you know what cortisol controls? In other words, if you have elevated versions of cortisol in your bloodstream, in your body, you know what it does? It controls three main things in you. It controls your mood. It controls your motivation. Interesting. And it controls your fear. 
I don't think the study could be any more clear for our culture today. Did you know that we've been, we've been measuring stuff, these things, for the last several decades? We haven't measured it before that, so I can't speak to before that. But since we've been measuring it, you know what has happened? We've gotten more moody, we've gotten less motivated, and more fearful. Almost any psychologist, any person you talk to, any study you look at, pretty much will tell you we're more moody, we're less motivated, and we're more fearful in general of our life. I wonder if it's because and directly tied to the fact that we have too much cortisol because we've gotten out of balance with the amount of possessions that we're chasing. Mood, motivation, and fear. Still not sure? Let me ask you these questions. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, I don't want you to out yourself, but how many of you, when you pull into the garage and you look around, you start to get just a little overwhelmed and a little stressed by what you see? Oh, let me tell you, when we pull in our garage, if we can, <laughs> we're running over stuff half the time. How many of you, when you walk into wherever you live, it's a house, it's an apartment, maybe you live somewhere else, a townhouse, whatever, wherever you live, condo, whatever you do, when you walk into wherever you live, do you feel yourself looking around and immediately feeling the stress of what needs to be done, of what you see has to happen, and the things that have to be accomplished? Stuff. In fact, let me just ask this question. How much of your stress in your life is tied to stuff? How much stress in your life is tied to possessions or money or keeping up? My guess is it might be a lot. See, God has a different way for us. He suggests, I have something different for you. Instead of elevating possessions, let's elevate people. Because people, yes, let's be honest, people can be life-sucking, right? Some of you don't, don't look at the next person to your left or your right. Don't do that. Don't do it. <laughs> right? We all know that people can suck life, but for the most part, we also know that people can give life and are the most important things in life. They're the most valuable things in life. Possessions never are elevated above people, but we do, and we kind of forget this. And God says, I have a different way of life. In fact, let me share with you what God shares with us in Hebrews chapter 13. Listen to what he says. God says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Now, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, not like family brothers. We're talking about God's family. When you accept Jesus, you're adopted into the family of Jesus. It's offered to you, but you don't have to. You have to choose and agree to get in. But the offer is there. And when you do, we become brothers and sisters in Jesus, in Christ. Okay? So keep on, he's talking to followers of Jesus. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality, we could say kindness, to strangers, people you don't know. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. He's actually referencing stuff that happened in the Old Testament when people were hospitable or kind to strangers and they ended up being angels, they ended up being messengers of God. 
Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. That's a powerful statement right there. Remember also those being mistreated, human trafficking, homeless, the down and out, the people who nobody wants to sit with at lunch, the weird neighbor that nobody talks to, they run from. Remember those also being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Empathy. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery, but don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Did you catch that last line? I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. It comes back to that thing that we talked about. Trust. God says, trust me, and people matter more than stuff. Trust me, God says, people matter more than stuff. Trust me, God says, people matter more than stuff. Don't spend so much time at work. Your family is suffering. People matter more than stuff. Stop looking at your phone. People matter more than stuff. Let's stop staring and doing and chasing and keeping up with everybody else. And I can't say keeping up with the Joneses because the Joneses are part of our church. Some of you know them. That's just too disrespectful to the poor Jones. If Jones, I get it. You're good. We love you guys. Right? But we're keeping up, right? We feel like we have to do this thing. We have to chase it. We have to get there. We have to do it. And why? Because we celebrate it when somebody arrives. When they become the CEO, we're like, whoa, you're awesome, man. And their marriage and their kids don't know them. They're falling apart and all that. It's true. Sacrifice people for the applause of the world. Let me tell you, the applause of the world will fade and diminish and be destroyed, and you'll be left with nothing. God says, Trust me, we need to start seeing people as people. Not things to use, not things to manipulate, not things to argue with, but as actual, real human beings. See, because of our materialism and our chasing of surfacey things, we tend to pe treat people surfacey. In fact, let me just say this. We tend to, we, we don't see a person, we see a political affiliation. Some of you have people in your life, you only see Republican, you only see Democrat when you see them. So let's be, we're getting real now, aren't we? Sometimes we don't see a person, we see a person who has a different skin color. That's all we can see. We don't see him as a person, we see him as somebody who looks different. We don't see a person, we, we see a person who lives in a different neighborhood than we do a different house, a different socioeconomic status. We don't see a person, we see someone who is not vaccinated or someone who is vaccinated. Oh, we've created that category for sure. 
If you paid attention to any news this week, that's the thing right now. Are we going to label people who are vaccinated and not? Ooh, now we're digging in. We don't see people for people. We see who's vaccinated, who's not. We, still, we don't see a person. We see whether they have a mask on or not. We don't see a person. We see a problem. We don't see a person. We see an obstacle. We could do this all day, couldn't we? God says, I want a different way. I want you to see people for people. God says, you don't, you don't know, you don't have a clue what they're going through. And you know what God, I think, wants us to do? He wants us to find out. He wants us to know what they're going through. He wants us to hear what they're going through. He wants us to get into the mud with them. We're like, man, they look like they're a mess. Well, why don't you get into the pit with them to find out why they're a mess and help them out? Maybe God wants a different way of life. So I was at a conference this last week, Thursday and Friday, phenomenal conference. And there was a pastor that spoke at this conference. His name is Albert Tate. If you ever just want to hear somebody who's awesome, like you'll watch the first one and then you'll watch another one and then you'll be like, wow, and you'll watch, you'll binge Albert Tate. Okay, sorry, Albert Tate, if you ever hear this, uh, but that's the truth. Like he's just amazing. He speaks, he's communicating, he's funny, but he's so real. Like he, he makes you laugh and then he drops your heart into a bucket and stomps on it. It's like, oh, that was so true. He shared something that is probably the most profound, most powerful thing I've heard about the pandemic yet. And I want to share it with you. It's a question. He asked a question, a powerful question. One of the most important questions I think we're going to ask in these days. He asked this. He said, what if everything we have just been through, and I mean, we're talking pandemic, the, the division and strife over race, uh, the uncertainty, the unknown, uh, you know, all that stuff. Upheaval. He asked this question, what if everything we have just gone through was the lesson and what we're actually living through right now is the test? A lot of people saw the pandemic as the test. What if that was the lesson and now is the test? I think he's right. I think that God gave us a glimpse of a less hectic, less stressed, less frenzied, less overwhelming version of what could be. And now's the test. Did we learn? Did we learn that people matter more than stuff? That people matter more than things? So Laura and I, we went to this conference on Thursday and Friday. And so we got back at Friday 5, 5.30, something like that. It was around supper time. And uh, so we get back to our house and we gathered our kids from the various places that they had been, you know, because we were gone for two days. And we had just kind of set aside, Friday night is going to be several hours where it's just going to be the five of us. We're going to hang out. We're going to spend time together. And it was just, it was just good. It's just really, really good. 
and we hung out, we had dinner, and, you know, we, we watched a couple of things, and we talked, we asked our kids how things went, we had, we had soccer tryouts when we were gone, and they had band stuff, you know, and all, they, just all kinds of things, we were with friends, and, you know, they had a great time, so we just caught up with them, it was, it was just good, but then it got pretty late, you know, it was actually past bedtime at this point, like well past bedtime. And so Laura and I, and, and, and understand that we're exhausted, right? We just came back from a conference. And when you soak up all this content, you don't, re it's like you're getting run over in a good way, weird, but like you're just going, wow, that was awesome, but I'm so tired right now. And so we were exhausted more than we have been in a while. And, uh, and so bedtime is like, Ooh, we're at bedtime, you know, and so we're getting the kids toward bed, and then Hannah says, hey, what is that? And she looks outside. She sees this flashing, like there's this flashing going on outside, and you guys know, if any of you were outside or saw what was going on Friday night, you know what I'm talking about, and so it's flashing. It's like, what is that? Dad, what is that? Mom, what is it? Come see this, and so we go outside, and of course, there's these massive thunderstorms south of Madison, several miles away from us, but there's this incredible lightning show. We got some pictures of it. Isn't that cool? This was like uh, me just doing the best I can with my phone camera, right? Trying to, uh, I'm trying to like, okay, things going to hit. I hit it just before it goes, right? Because it like flashes it gone. And we got some pictures. In fact, in fact, uh, we just, uh, we have a video. Show, the, show them the video. You want to see that? This is just cool. that low rumble so good it's just this constant like flash and rumble there's this big lightning strike here and just like yeah right there that's awesome the pictures in the video though they were not the best part right and you can hear you got the crickets you have the, you can imagine like it's stuffy it's kind of warm and muggy outside but here's what was so cool even though we were way past bedtime, Laura and I, I'll be honest, all we wanted was bed. But for the next hour, the five of us just sat on or near the front porch. We laughed. We oohed and awed when the big ones hit. We tried to capture it on picture and video. We listened as animals were out in the dark running around in their yard. We tried to figure out what they were. We never found out. Dad, what's that? Flashlight. We had just, it was an hour of just awesome. Laura and I were exhausted. But it was so worth it. And this is what's cool. I don't think Laura even knows this, but uh, as we were walking in, one of my children said, Dad, we're never going to forget this night. You don't get that with possessions, guys. You don't get that with long hours working. You don't get that. At the end of your life, let me tell you what people will not care about and will not talk about. How much money you made. How many bonuses you got. How many hours you worked. How many possessions you were able to achieve. And, uh, you know, acquire. Can I tell you what they will talk about? They will talk about who you are. They will talk about how you made them feel. They will talk about 
the kind of person and how you invested in them. They will talk about how much they loved you, how much you loved them. That is literally all that will matter at that point. In 2014, there was a house that was on fire in Fresno, California. And, uh, and there were people standing around and this, this house was just absolutely engulfed in flames. And all of a sudden, this huge fireball like burst and, and exploded out of, the, out of the roof. And all the people were in there and they weren't sure, but they thought that there was an older uh, elderly gentleman that was still in the house, but nobody could get in. And all of a sudden, a delivery man wasn't even in, you know, in that particular neighborhood. The delivery man was going by, and he saw what happened, and he just literally got out. He walked through the crowd of people, walked right into the house, right through the flames, grabbed the, the old man that was in there, and uh, a few moments later, he comes out carrying this 73-year-old man with an oxygen tank over his shoulder and puts, gently sets him down and then disappears again. For two days, they tried to find this guy. He wanted nothing to do with accolades or hero status or anything. He was embarrassed about it. He just did what he knew he was supposed to do. Now, let me ask you, why did he run into the house? Was it for an item? Was it for a possession? Was it for some thing of value? No, he ran in because what we all know is people matter more than anything else in this world. A crisis makes that clear, doesn't it? Crisis forces us to realize what is most important. We will run in a crisis to save a life, but we do not worry about the possessions in that moment because it's a crisis. We can't. So I want to leave you with this thought, this statement. If we would risk our life to value a person in a crisis... Why can't we spend our entire life valuing people on a daily basis? The crisis shows us what we should be doing all the time. Elevating people. Diminishing stuff. Hold things less. Cherish people. Let's pray. Lord, if we have accepted you, Lord Jesus, you call us children of God. We are a child of God. We are valuable. You have made us as people to be intrinsically valuable. We are more valuable than stuff. We all know that deep down, but Lord, sometimes it is very difficult, very difficult to live by that principle, by that rule. And so for all of us in here, if maybe there was a chord that was struck today and we realize that maybe there's somebody here that they feel like we're, they're out of balance. 
Maybe their phone has taken over. The TV, they, they haven't looked at each other over a meal in maybe months, maybe even years, God. The TV's always on. God, maybe that car that they go after, maybe the job has consumed, they work 60, they work 70 hours. They see their family for a glimpse, for a moment, and God is calling them back. He's saying, you're slaves. You're slaves to the possessions. You're slaves to the stuff. We need to stop being slaves to this world, to this culture, and start living free. We need to live free. We need to trust that God will provide and start elevating and valuing and spending time with and investing in people, the ones that are the most valuable in our lives. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for elevating stuff over people. Help us to live free. Help us to live according to the ways that you want us to live where we elevate people, value people. We see people for who they are, people, and diminish the things of this world that we seem to like to chase. Help us, God. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.